0: And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. As you may know, in two of the World Showcase pavilions, you can find a 360-degree film. And taking a look back in history, the location of the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor used to be a 360-degree theater. You can still kind of pick it out among the sidings along the wall as you sit there. I know they put benches in, but it's still there. And over the years, it hosted several 360-degree films. Of course, at Disneyland, the Circarama Theater also hosted several movies that were 360 degrees. Now, you may walk in and think, hey, great, it's a movie, and it's in 360 degrees. And surely, with technology advancements over the last few years, it's easy to create a 360-degree movie. Google Glasses, YouTube videos, and other types of services make this accessible to everyone, and you can buy a 360-degree camera for very little money. But Disney created something new, unique, and innovative at the time. Circle Vision was revolutionary, and today, I'm going to talk about that. Now before we get to the details, let's take a quick trip back in history. The use of photographic film was pioneered by George Eastman, who started manufacturing paper film in 1885 before switching to celluloid in 1889. The idea of film, that is capturing the moment on a surface that somehow can be reproduced, was incredible and spawned a whole new industry and tons of inventions behind it. The very first patented film camera was designed in England by Frenchman Louis Le Prince in 1888. He built and patented an earlier 16-lens camera in 1887 at his workshop in Leeds. The first eight lenses would be triggered in rapid succession by an electromagnetic shutter on the sensitive film. French cinematic pioneers toyed with the technology as far back as 1884, leading to something that was dubbed Cine-Orama. Rama was an early film experiment and also an amusement ride at the 1900 Paris Exposition, devised by Raoul Grimond-Sanson, that simulated a ride in a hot air balloon over Paris. It represented a union of the earlier technology of panoramic paintings and the recently invented technology of cinema. Grimond-Sanson began experimenting with movie cameras and projectors in 1895 and was in contact with the other early researchers such as Étienne Jules-Marie, he patented Cinerama in November of 1897. Now, Cinerama consisted of 10 synchronized 70-millimeter projectors, projecting onto 10 9-meter-by-9-meter screens, arranged in a full 360-degree circle around a viewing platform. The platform itself was as large as a balloon basket, capable of holding 200 viewers at a time, with rigging, ballast, and the lower part of the huge gas bag. The film to be shown was made by locking together 10 cameras with a single central drive, putting them in an actual balloon, and filming the flight as the balloon rose to 400 meters above Tuya Gardens. On projecting the film, the experience was completed by showing the same film backwards to simulate a descent. Some references describe a much longer experience involving a trip to England, Spain, and the Sahara, but we don't know if he ever accomplished that so much as conceptualized it. Because... Cinerama lasted only three days at the exposition. On the fourth day, it was shut down by the police for safety reasons. Extreme heat from the projector's arc lights in the booth below the audience had caused one workman to faint, and the authorities were worried that the possibility of a deadly fire was very real. Cinerama was never shown again. Others experimented with the idea, but the market was limited, and it was somewhat expensive to produce at the time. Enter a man named Walt Disney. He and his team of web designers came up with a way to produce an immersive movie experience that puts you at the center of the show. The principle was more or less the same as what the Frenchman had come up with, and it was very simple. The design team built a special 5-foot-tall, 400-pound camera rig comprised of nine different 35 millimeter cameras with standard spherical lenses, arranged around a tubular shaft, each camera facing outward. These were linked together using a motor that drove the mechanisms for all the cameras, keeping them in sync. The cameras literally filmed scenery 360 degrees, and when played back, gave the impression you were in the scene itself, as though you were standing in the middle of where the shaft was located.
1: I'd like you all to meet my assistant. She's bold, she's brassy, she's self-contained all the way from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the self-programming circumvisual photo droid. Let's say hello! Hello!
0: The rig could be mounted on top of a car, pushed on a cart, or suspended from a helicopter, allowing for spectacular views. Now, interestingly, there was a Russian firm called Krugovaya Kino Panorama that uses 11 cameras with anamorphic lenses in the late 1950s. And would have been a direct competitor to Walt Disney in this sense... The working hypothesis was that the additional cameras plus the lens that essentially distorts the image would improve on the technology. But it didn't, and the Circle Vision turned out to be a better solution to the problem at hand. For Circle Vision, the playback was made by showing each of the nine films on a screen. But how they did this was kind of genius. By using an odd number of screens and a small space between them, a projector could be placed in each gap, projecting across the space to a screen that's immediately across the theater. The screens and projectors are arranged above head level, forcing you to look up and experience it without the fear of someone blocking one of the projectors. Now, because it appears all around you, the show designers added lean rails rather than seats to help viewers watch the film all the way around so they could turn their heads and swivel and look at it without having to sit in a seat. Or, as Robin Williams said when he did The Timekeeper,
1: For your safety, I've invented rails for you to lean on. I call them lean rails. Please do not sit on the lean rails, because they're there to lean on. And please don't sit on the floor. My studies show that you can't experience time travel on the floor. And it's not a pretty picture in those shorts.
0: Walt dubbed this Circle Vision 360 Degrees. And his first film was in Disneyland's Tomorrowland and opened in 1955. It was titled A Tour of the West, and it offered visitors a documentary tour of the western United States surrounding them completely with a 360-degree image. Later, he replaced the film with America the Beautiful. Among the many fascinating places Circa Rama takes you in America the Beautiful are New York Harbor, Times Square, a Vermont country church set against the splendor of the autumn foliage, Williamsburg, Virginia, cradle of the American culture, Pittsburgh steel mills, Detroit automobile factories, Midwestern railroad freight yards, Oklahoma cowboys rounding up cattle, wheat harvesting combines in Montana, copper mines in Utah, Monument Valley, Hoover Dam, the Grand Canyon, San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge, and Campus Life at America's Great University of California at Los Angeles. So that was the original show. Now, over the years, the shows changed in Disneyland. At some point, it was a show called American Journeys, which was similar to America the Beautiful, but had some more current images and more closely aligned with the new corporate sponsor, Delta Airlines, and their vision. And at another point, The Wonders of China, the same film that's shown at the Epcot Pavilion, was also displayed there. Now, in 1972, Disney World introduced it as well, showing American Journeys, then the Timekeeper, and later built theaters in Epcot for both China and Canada. Now, as we all know, it's long since been closed in Disneyland and in the Magic Kingdom, but lives on in both locations in Epcot. We've heard in the past that Circle Vision would be making a return to the Disneyland Park with a new presentation of America the Beautiful and Circle Vision 360, though it's not currently known where the film will be presented, as the original theater was replaced with another attraction, and whether this will be a new version of the film or, a, or the same one that they had filmed previously. Now, the story doesn't quite end here. I mean, that's a nice story to understand what the Circle Vision was all about and how we got here because of the amazing leap forward that the WED designers took. Walt had much grander plans for this technology than simply installing it in a single theme park. And now, from ThemeParkTourist.com, is the proverbial rest of the story. And I want to give full credit to them, as this is an original work by Theme Park Tourist. Walt wanted to open a nationwide chain of CircleVision 360 cinemas, and to produce a range of different movies to be shown at them. Essentially, he hoped to follow the model that was eventually adopted by IMAX, and had he lived longer, he may have pulled it off. Let's take a look at how far he got. First about the technology. Walt wanted to place viewers directly into the thick of the on-screen action, but he didn't want to rely on the flimsy, uncomfortable glasses employed by 3D movies that were flooding cinemas during the 1950s. Instead, he wanted to completely surround them with the movies so that they could look in front of them, to the side, and even behind them to get a different point of view. The answer was a system developed in-house, primarily by Disney legend Ub Iwerks, a man who had earlier pioneered 3D films in the 1930s using a makeshift camera setup in the back of a Studebaker vehicle. Iwerks devised a system that employed 11 different screens arrayed in a circle. There was a small gap between each screen allowing an equal number of projectors to project the images. The system was initially named Circorama. The Disney system wasn't the first to try it and broaden the viewer's aspect ratio. In 1952, the feature-length This is Cinerama had pulled off a similar trick with quite spectacular results. The movie premiered on September 30, 1952 in the, at the New York Broadway Theater. It began in standard 4 to 3 aspect ratio in black and white, and then told the story of the evolution of motion pictures leading up to the introduction of sound and color. Suddenly, the image expanded to cover... For two further screens in full color. The movie was a huge success, pulling in a then-huge $12.5 million at the box office, despite requiring specialist technology that had to be moved from city to city. The technology was much less ambitious than Disney's, but the name chosen for Disney's version, Circorama, could undeniably be seen as derivative. The producers sued Disney successfully, forcing a name change to Circle Vision 360. Now about the first installations. The first Circle Vision 360 installation, we'll use the final name to avoid confusion, was at Disneyland. A tour of the West was produced using a camera mounted on an American Motors vehicle, with the auto manufacturer taking up sponsorship of the attraction. Walt, excited by the technology, didn't stop there. A second theater was built for the United States Pavilion at the 1958 World's Fair in Brussels, and a new film, America the Beautiful, was produced to show off the wonders of the country. According to one official, it became the hit not only of the American Pavilion, but of the whole expo. The exhibit was transferred to a nylon geodesic dome at the American National Exhibition in Moscow the following year. Queues of up to 100 yards developed as around 1,000 Russians per hour viewed a film that the U.S. government hoped would convince them of the benefits of capitalism. Walt recognized the limitations of the roadshow style of distribution employed by This Is Cinerama and the impracticality of moving Circle Vision 360 setups from one city to another. He wanted to build a set of permanent Circle Vision 360 cinemas instead. By 1961, another movie, Italia 61, was in the can, the first to use just nine cameras rather than 11. Discussions over the production of a third to cover Europe were already underway. In 1963, Walt had also begun seeking sponsorships for a Circle Vision film about Canada to be showcased at the Expo 67 in Montreal. But just where might these Circle Vision theaters have been located? Well, we know of two possible locations. Let's take a look. Walt had largely banned the sale of alcohol at Disneyland. Despite this, Canadian liquor company Seagram was among those courting Disney following Disneyland's early success, aiming to convince the company to build a second theme park. It hoped to persuade Walt to develop a tourist attraction at Niagara Falls, the natural wonder that would eventually be surrounded by a host of Las Vegas style offerings, including casinos, theaters, and high-rise hotels. In August 1963, Walt and his wife Lillian traveled together with Roy and his wife Edna to Niagara Falls to discuss the proposal and meet local officials. The trip included a look at the falls from the Seagram Towers observation deck an appropriate activity given what Seagram was proposing. The company hoped to partner with Disney to boost the tower, a 325 feet tall creation that opened in 1962 and boasted the observation deck, a restaurant and a hotel, It was located on the Canadian side of the border and stood some 525 feet above the Horseshoe Falls. It was the first modern observation tower to be built close to the falls, though it has since been overshadowed by the taller Skylon Tower. As was the case with the proposed New York theme park, the cold winters in the region ruled out any potential outdoor theme parks. Instead, Walt considered a more modest plan. According to statements from longtime Disney consultant Buzz Price, this would have involved installing a clone of Disneyland's Rocket to the Moon ride in one of the lower floors of the Seagram Tower. Despite Price's apparent claim that a version of Rocket to the Moon was on the cards for the Seagram Tower, his professional notes actually indicate that a 360-degree movie was considered for the site. Price even went on as far as completing a financial report to ascertain the potential revenues and costs for such a venture. This could have been the first in Walt's proposed chain of Circle Vision 360 theaters. According to Price, Disney and Seagram failed to agree on the appropriate licensing for the Niagara Falls attraction. The project was quietly dropped, with Seagram going on to take over Disney's rival Universal in 1995, before itself being acquired by French conglomerate Vivendi five years later. Marcellane, where Walt's family had owned a farm during his happiest childhood years, is also located not far from the major city of St. Louis. During the decades that followed the Civil War, the city had grown and become the fourth largest city in the U.S., This boom period culminated with the 1904 World's Fair and the Summer Olympics, which were hosted concurrently in St. Louis. By the 1950s, the city's famous Mississippi Riverfront was in a desperate state, having been hit by the dual effects of the Great Depression and the migration to outlying suburbs. The condition of the riverfront did not go unnoticed by city authorities. In the 1930s, the city began acquisition and demolition of a 40-block area, on which it planned to install a memorial to Thomas Jefferson. After the war, Erosarine, won a competition to produce a design for the memorial with what would ultimately become the Gateway Arch. Plans were also put in place to demolish the city's Chinatown and replace it with a new stadium for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. On a site close to both the arch and the stadium, the Civic Center Redevelopment Corporation hoped to build a third attraction, Riverfront Square. Featuring a range of shops and restaurants, this would cater to the millions of tourists that were expected to visit the newly revived area. In 1962, plans were announced for an outdoor mall stretching along a 300-foot strip. This would be themed around 19th century St. Louis, celebrating its history as a vital river getaway. In early 1963, the CCRC approached Walt Disney with a proposal to produce a short film about the history of St. Louis to be shown in one of the Riverfront Square's theaters. Whereas he rejected most similar proposals out of hand, on this occasion, Walt was intrigued, probably due to his affection for the area. Walt himself visited St. Louis in May 1963 with the CCRC's president, Raymond Whitcoff, leading the tour. At the time, Disney's suggested involvement was limited to the production of a Circle Vision movie and possibly a second unusual ride that would have an economic potential as an amusement ride in, the, in addition to its primary transportation function. It's likely that this would have been a version of the Ford Magical Skyway or People Mover system. Eventually, Disney's involvement grew significantly beyond this, to the point where the company was proposing to build an enormous indoor theme park on the Riverfront Square site, but ultimately, no agreement on how the project could be financed was reached, and it was dropped altogether. Walt Disney died in 1966, and his dream of rolling out a Circle Vision 360 across the world largely died with him. Now, Circle Vision 360 today... Circle Vision 360 does still play a role at the Disney theme parks. The original theater at Disneyland may have been shut down along with the others at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, Disneyland Paris, and Tokyo Disneyland, but travelogue-style movies that Walt envisioned are a perfect fit with Epcot's World Showcase. Reflections of China and O Canada continue to be presented in the format, playing to millions of guests every year. What an interesting story, and again, that came from Theme Park Tourist. And I just found it fascinating because it kind of fills in some of the blanks on some of the things that happened and how Walt had a grander vision. And that's the thing you can always say about Walt Disney. He always seemed to have some grander vision than anyone ever assumed. Now, early on in one of my podcasts, around probably around podcast number 15, I had on Richard Fogelsong, who wrote Married to the Mouse. He talks about some of the meetings that happened between Disney and the people in St. Louis and sort of the plans that were going on there. And the problems were bigger than just financing. It had to do with alcohol and other issues as well. But they were never able to kind of pull it off and get it together. It just never really came to be what I think Walt wanted it to be. And because he was a visionary, it just never happened. And that's how Disney World came to be. So it's really kind of interesting how all these stories kind of flow together and Walt was always looking at these different world expositions and world's fairs and looking for the best ideas and kind of lifting them or helping them or whatever it was that was appropriate given what he was doing at that point in time. It's really fascinating. His history and some of the richness of the things that he did and how he got involved with things is just amazing to me. So we have the complete story of how Circle Vision came to be and what it is and As I said in the podcast where I talked about the Canada Pavilion, I highly recommend that you take the time to go in and visit one of these films and experience it. It really is something. It's really worth doing. I can remember growing up when we used to go to Disney World and we would uh, have the opportunity to go and see the uh, Monsanto Presents American Journeys. And some of my relatives, and sometimes myself included, we go, Oh, go see this film again. We've seen it like 200 times. I don't want to see it. But looking back on it now, I'm so glad I did. Because it really was this rich piece of history with the 360-degree films that you could really enjoy and immerse yourself in. And I still love going to see them in China and in Canada as well. Because it really does capture that same piece of imagination. It's like actually seeing something that Walt touched. Once again, even though both of those movies were made long after his death, the technology that he invented and created... It, it really shows through everything that he had to do with it, and that's the amazing piece for me. Well, that is my show for this week, and I hope you've enjoyed this look at Circle Vision 360. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. And just one last request before I let you go. If you can, please support this podcast in any way you like. I have three ways of supporting me. Number one is the easiest, and it's free just head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast and give me a quick review. Tell other people how great you think this podcast is and it'll help grow the podcast. The second way is to go ahead and purchase one of the apps I have for sale over at DisneyPodcast.net or DisneyWorldPodcast.net. I create apps for iOS devices, so for Apple devices, your iPhones and your iPads, and I've got a couple that are Disney-related that you might enjoy. So take a look at those and see if any one of them might be interesting to you. And the third way is... I've recently set up a Patreon account. It's patreoncom DisneyView. And if you like, just make a quick financial contribution. I'm happy to continue doing this regardless, but if you like the show and you'd like to contribute in some way, I'm always happy to take a small contribution. I'm not, there's no requirement. I'm not asking for much, but if you do give me a contribution, I'm happy to give you a shout out on this podcast in the future. Hey, thanks very much, and I hope you enjoy my podcast.